All right, thanks, choir. At the top of your worship folder is a verse from Micah that I'd like to start with this morning. He has showed you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. And then our beatitude for today is Matthew 5, verse 7. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. One of the criticisms that is often lobbed against Christians by our critics is that the Old Testament and the New Testament present very different pictures of God, right? The, the idea is that the Old Testament God is angry and he's mean and he's harsh. And then in the New Testament, he's really friendly and really nice all of a sudden. And it's like, what's, what's going on here? But for Christians, people who actually read the Bible, we see that verses like this show us that while circumstances and applications of morality may change and they may differ, certainly the circumstances of Israelites 3,000 years ago are different from today, nevertheless, God's heart and his moral principles don't change. God always cares about justice fairness and equality among people. He cares about mercy, about love and kindness, and he cares about us walking humbly and faithfully with him. Jesus calls these the weightier matters of the law. They are the commands that are the heaviest, the most important. And he criticizes the Pharisees often in the Gospels for for focusing on small, trivial, outward commands and yet neglecting the inward, weightier issues. And so on a matter like tithing, which for the Jews in the New Testament, that was a, it was a public act of obedience. You would go into the, to the temple and you would take your money and you would publicly tithe it. And so Jesus says this public, outward act of obedience is very important to you Pharisees, and you make sure that you tithe down to the penny, down to the tenth. You make sure that it's exactly right. And yet you're... You've neglected the inward obedience. You don't care about justice and mercy and faithfulness. And so Jesus says it's like you've, you've strained out a sin the size of a gnat and you've swallowed a sin the size of a camel. And I think that Jesus' criticisms of the Pharisees are relevant for us as modern Christians. Because I think it's easy for human beings to focus on outward obedience in small things that are very easy to regulate and that are very public and everybody sees them. And it's much harder sometimes to make sure that our hearts are right with God, that we have the inward, uh, the inward relationship. It's easy to focus on church attendance and, and being a part of church programs and tithing and giving and all these outward things. And, and those things are good. I'm not trying to criticize tithing. We need people to tithe. And certainly I think it's important to go to church and be a part of programs. But these things only have significance when they come from a heart that cares about the weightier matters of justice, mercy, and faithfulness. If you don't care about mercy, then what does it matter if every other Friday night you go and you help feed the hungry in Gardena? And if you don't care about faithfulness to God, what does it matter if you're up here singing on the worship team or preaching or doing anything ministry-wise in this church? If you don't care about being faithful and walking humbly with God. That inward obedience needs to precede the outward forms 
of obedience. We've been doing a series on the Beatitudes, and the very first week Dean talked about how the poor in spirit are those people who see, they recognize their need for God, they recognize their brokenness, and they mourn over that, they mourn over their sinfulness, over their weakness, but that mourning doesn't lead them into despair, it doesn't lead them into into cynicism, instead it leads them to meekness to submit themselves to God, to trust in God for their salvation, to rely on God to defend them and to care for them and to lead them. And then that meekness then causes them to hunger and thirst for righteousness. I love how Dean explained last week how righteousness is simply being approved by God, seeking to be approved by God. And so if you have, if you have submitted yourself to God and say, God, you are my Father, I submit myself to you, then there, there is produced in us a desire to please our Father. Not to earn our salvation, we can't do that. Salvation's free through Christ. But a desire to please God as our Father, like, you want, like a little child wants to please his dad. And so we hunger and thirst for God to be pleased with us, to, for his approval, for, for him to one day tell us when we cross the finish line of faith to say, well done, good and faithful servant, that becomes our heart's desire. And I think for any true Christian, for any true believer, that desire is there. And we may have other desires that are sinful that we have to struggle with, but that desire to please God is deep inside in our hearts. We hunger and thirst for righteousness. But then that hunger and that thirst for righteousness causes us to become merciful. Because the more we seek to please God, the more we seek to be approved by God by the way we live— the more clearly we realize how far we fall short of God's standards. C.S. Lewis says that those who, those who understand the power of sin the most are those who have sought to live a righteous life. If you, if you have never really sought to live righteously, if you just give in to sin and you just give in to a sinful lifestyle, you have, no, you have no sense of the power of sin on you. But those who've actually struggled against sin and sought to please God with their lives, they realize, man, Sin has a hold on my heart. And I, I can seek to please God for, to, be, to be righteous for an hour or for two hours or for three hours, but eventually I fall short every time. And so does my, so does my lapel microphone. And so people who are truly hungering and thirsting for righteousness realize how deeply they need the mercy of God. And that causes them to be merciful towards others because they live each day indebted and in gratitude to God's mercy on their lives. And they realize deeply how much they need that. And so when other people become indebted to them and sin against them, it is, I shouldn't say it's easy, but it's natural to say, God has been merciful to me, so I will be merciful to you. And those who forget, who, who, who fail to remember how, how much they need God's mercy, are the ones who fail then to show mercy to others. And therefore they fail to receive mercy from God. And so there's two questions I want to look at today, very briefly, in regards to mercy. First question is, what is mercy? And the second question is, do I always have to be merciful? Or are there ever any exceptions? So the first question, what is mercy? As you look through the gospel, I think there's three three ways of understanding mercy, or I could say three aspects of mercy. And the first aspect of mercy is compassion for the physically and the emotionally needy. Compassion for the physically and emotionally needy. We see this very clearly in Luke chapter 10. You don't have to turn there with me, but it's the story of the Good Samaritan that many of us are so familiar with. A lawyer comes to Jesus. He's really like a seminary professor. 
And he tries to test Jesus. And he says, okay, Jesus, you think you're so clever. You know, what are the most important commandments? And Jesus says, love God and love your neighbor. And he says, well, who's my neighbor? And so Jesus proceeds to tell a story that we're very familiar with. And so I, I, I decided to tailor it a little bit because I think if Jesus was physically standing here right now preaching to you, he would probably just tell the story a little bit different. He would say that there once was an American who went down to Mexico as a tourist and he was there and he kind of got in the wrong part of town and some guys beat him and robbed him and left him for dead. But there just so happened to be an American pastor traveling through Mexico. It was Pastor Dave. He was there on a mission trip short-term trip and it's Saturday evening and he's coming back toward the border and he drives and he sees this American laying laying there on the street bleeding but Pastor Dave was a busy guy he has got to preach the next day and, and he misses his kids and he's tired and he knows it's not a safe area he sees some shady characters kind of loitering about and so he thinks you know what I can't even call 911 I don't know who to call it's Mexico I can't even use my cell phone And so he says, I'm sure somebody else will get this guy. We'll help him. And Pastor Dave just keeps driving. Well, thankfully, there was another American, another good church-going American. It was was a board member of Nova Community Church, Andrew Pittman. He was also on the mission trip. And he was following in the vehicle behind Pastor Dave. And he also saw that, that American laying there. But, you know, board member Pittman, he's got some beautiful genius girls at home that he needs to get back to. And and a wife who wants him to be on time, and, and he, he's got to help lead worship on the next day. And, and, he, and he says, look, Pastor Dave didn't stop, and so Andrew Pittman just keeps right on going. Doesn't look good for this American, but thankfully, a third person came. He was a member of the Mexican drug cartel, and he saw this beaten American lying there, and he had pity on him. And so he stopped his vehicle and he got out and he began to rip off pieces of his clothing to try to bandage this guy and stop the bleeding. And then he picked him up and put him in his, his nice Mercedes and got the upholstery all, all bloody. And he drove him to the nearest hospital. And he didn't know whether this guy had any insurance. And so he, he just put a couple thousand down and he said, man, take care of this guy and I'll be back. I'm good for the rest. Take care of him. And then Jesus would say, Who, which of these people had, had mercy on that American. And you would say, not, not Dave or Andrew, but the, the drug lord. And Jesus would say, go and do likewise. So the first aspect of mercy is compassion on the physically and the emotionally needy. The second aspect of mercy that we see in the gospel is compassion for the spiritually lost. Compassion for the spiritually lost. In Matthew 10 or excuse me, Matthew 9, Jesus says, 9 verse 10, while Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. While the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why, do your, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? And it's easy for us as Americans to look down on the Pharisees and say, why are they so intolerant and judgmental. Why aren't, they, why aren't they kinder towards these, these tax collectors? But we've discussed before that the tax collectors were not nice guys. These are bad dudes. These are guys who collect taxes, Jews who collect taxes for the Romans, and then they add on to whatever the taxes so that they personally can profit. And so if, if the, the typical peasant is paying maybe 40% of their income to the Romans, the tax collectors might add 5 or 10% onto that. 
And so the average person who's just barely able to pay their taxes with, with the, the straight tax, now they can't pay it. And so they have to go get a loan. And then they end up defaulting on the loan. And so now they have to sell their land, their family's land, in order to be able to pay their loans. And so now they're tenant farmers working on their own, what used to be their land. And then they still can't pay their debt. And so now the dad gets thrown into debtor's prison. And the kids get sold as slaves. And the wife has to become a prostitute to live. This happens regularly. And so the tax collectors were not viewed as nice guys. I was trying to think of maybe a modern analogy of this. I thought of some, some corrupt CEOs. You know, guys who just treat, they treat their employees like trash. They pay them like, like nothing, you know, the no benefits. But the, they themselves are giving themselves huge bonuses and they're flying around in their corporate jets. And one day Jesus visits the company, but instead of going and hanging out with the working class folks, he goes up into the company corporate lounge and he begins to have dinner with these corrupt CEOs. And they, these guys, you know, they have, their, they have their, their prostitutes or whatever hanging out there and Jesus is hanging out with them laughing and and we'd say, what? what are you doing, Jesus? What are you doing? Do you know what these guys are like? Or maybe Jesus is out having dinner with some ISIS leaders. And they're just having a good time. And, we, and the news, news people get wind of it. And it gets, it gets published in the newspapers. And it's on CNN. Jesus having dinner with ISIS leaders. And we're like, what are you doing, Jesus? Do you know what these guys are like? Do you know what they've done? And Jesus would respond, I think, as he did to the Pharisees. Verse 12, on hearing this, Jesus said, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have not come to call the righteous, but the sinners. The second aspect of mercy is compassion for the spiritually lost. The third aspect of mercy is compassion for our debtors, for those who sin against us. And I realize this is similar, perhaps, to those who are spiritually lost, but it's much more personal. It hits home in a way that just forgiving the ordinary sinner may not. In Matthew 18, verse 21, it says, Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother when he sins against me? Up to seven times, Jesus? Jesus answered, No, Peter. I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 talents, millions and millions and millions of dollars, was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. The servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii, maybe ten thousand dollars. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me, and I will pay you back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay back the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were greatly distressed and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? And in his anger, his master turned him over to the jailers to be tortured 
until he should pay back all that he owed. This is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother from your heart. So there are three aspects of mercy, and I think all three are necessary to be a merciful person. We can't just pick one or two and be merciful in Christ's eyes. We need to be all three. The second question that I want to deal with today is, do I always have to be merciful? Right? We're Americans. We, we're familiar with, with, with lawsuits. We're always looking for the loophole, for the exception somewhere. Do I always have to be merciful? If my child is defiant, must I always be merciful and not discipline? If someone keeps asking me for money and, 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 and over and over and over, do I have to keep being merciful and just keep giving unconditionally? If my employee is lazy, do I just have to be merciful and keep employing him? If I'm a police officer, is there some way I can fulfill my requirements and still somehow be merciful? What do I do? These are tough questions that I think every Christian has probably asked herself if, if she's serious about following Jesus. And I don't pretend to have the perfect answer to that. But what has helped me is to remember that being merciful is a desire to help and to do what is best for that person and for others. And sometimes what is best for the person is what I would call tender mercy. Tender mercy. Not disciplining, disciplining a child and explaining why. And saying, look, son, daughter, you deserve to be disciplined. What you did was wrong and you were defiant. But God does not discipline me every time I sin. He is kind and he's slow to anger. And he's rich in love. And therefore, I am not going to discipline you this time. I'm not overlooking your sin, but I have chosen to be merciful, to have tender mercy. Sometimes tender mercy may mean giving repeatedly to a person who asks, even though that person is not being proactive about improving his situation. Jesus tells us to give to those who ask without expecting repayment. God is unconditionally kind to me, and therefore I can be unconditionally kind to others. However, tender mercy is not always what's best. Sometimes we must display tough mercy. Sometimes mercy must be firm and even tough for the good of the person. Proverbs says that if you never discipline a child, it's going to harm the child in the long run. It's like you hate that child. And always giving to a person who refuses to take responsibility for his life will, in the end, only increase his lack of motivation. It may be more loving to refrain and to actually force that person to face some of the consequences of his or her poor choices so that he'll make better choices in the future. And God did this with Israel. Sometimes we don't always recognize God's tough mercy. God was very compassionate, very merciful. He took the Israelites out of Egypt. Uh, They did nothing to deserve it. In fact, the Bible even says, uh, God tells the Israelites, he says, "You you guys were not more special, more holy than anyone else, but out of my unconditional, undeserved mercy, I took you out of, out of Egypt and put you in the promised land. And in the promised land, the Israelites made some pretty poor choices. They began to worship idols. And so God sent them warning through the prophets, and he said, come back to me, stop worshiping these idols. And they wouldn't, and so then God would discipline them. And he would send, he would send invaders, he would send famine and plagues. And eventually they would, they would repent, and they would say, God, please have mercy on us, please have mercy on us. And so he would. He would relent, and he would bless them. 
And of course, they would go back into idolatry. And, and that pattern continued for hundreds of years until finally God said, enough tender mercy, I need to be tough. And God exiled them into Babylon for 70 years. And when those exiles came back to Israel, they still had a lot of problems, but there's one sin that they never struggled with anymore, and that was idolatry. They never struggled with outward idolatry the way they had in the past. They learned from God's tough mercy. Sometimes we need to be tender. Sometimes we need to be tough. So for our application today, we need to ask ourselves two questions. First, which aspects of mercy do I need to grow in? Do I have compassion for the physically and the emotionally needy around me? When I see needs in my community and in my world, am I moved with compassion? Am I asking God how I can get involved and how I can help? doesn't mean that you have to be involved in everything. doesn't mean you have to feel like you need to do something for every need that you see. But are you genuinely saying, God, what should I do? I can't do everything, but I can do something. What are you calling me to do, God? Are you moved with compassion? Or are you trying to insulate yourself and protect yourself from the poor and the needy around you and, and just trying to live a nice little life and get involved in more church activities and please God that way? If so, you need to remember that God desires mercy, not sacrifice. Just sacrificing more of your money or your time is not necessarily what God wants. He wants a heart of mercy. Second, do I have compassion for the spiritually lost? It's so common, unfortunately, in in conservative evangelical circles to hear people ranting about how terrible the world is. And how the world's going to hell in a handbasket. And I I agree that there's a lot of bad things out there. But sometimes I wonder, are, are we concerned with these people's eternal destinies? Or are we more concerned with how they are destroying our society? And what's more important? Obviously, I care about my society. I care about my kids growing up in this society. But we should be even more concerned about these people's eternal destinies with God. And sometimes it feels like we're not. And when I hear about a person who's committed a scandalous sin, maybe they've had an affair, they've left their family, do I respond with indignation and a sense of moral superiority and think, oh man, what an evil person, I'm glad that I never have those problems? Or do I respond with compassion? As I think about the the tremendous pain and hurt that they've brought on themselves and on their family members. And do I feel compassion for them and pray that God would restore them and restore their family? And if my response is just primarily indignation and superiority, there's something wrong with my heart. And I have to check myself often on this. When I watch, when I see reports about people who've com- committed scandalous sins, if my response is, oh man, I'm, they're terrible people, I'm glad I don't do that, something's wrong with me. And do I have compassion for my debtors? Especially those who are unrepentant, who don't ask forgiveness, who don't try to make restoration. And the easy way to to answer that question is to think of the person who's hurt you the worst. Who pops into your mind? A parent, an ex-spouse? Are you more concerned with how that person has hurt you or that person standing before God? What's a higher priority for you? Do you want them to make things right or do you want to heal the relationship? And I'm not saying it's easy to love and to forgive our enemies, but it is part of following Christ. It's part of what Jesus talked about when he said, pick up your cross and follow me. And sometimes forgiveness is picking up a cross, but it's part of the deal. 
It's what Jesus tells us to do when he says, count the cost. We've got to ask God for his help. The second question to ask ourselves is, do I naturally lean more towards tough mercy or tender mercy? And am I out of balance? I think each of us is probably disposed one of two ways, kind of based on our personality and the way that we were raised by our parents. And so some of you, you're, you're taught tender people. And you, you, somebody tells you something and they have a need and you're, you're just ready to open up your checkbook and give them all your money and, and you're crying. And, and that's great. There's something good about that. And some of you are more tough. And you're kind of a coach. And you're kind of like, you know what, you need to, you, need to, you know, pull yourself up by your, by your bootstraps here and work hard and stop whining. And, and there's something good about that. But we have to work hard to keep each other in balance because... I think what often happens is that tough people, tough people can be more motivated by bitterness and anger than by genuine compassion. And so somebody who says, I'm, I'm tough because I have tough love, well, really, they just have issues in their own heart. They're bitter and they're angry about other things and they take that out on other, other people, but then they're like, oh, but I'm, it's tough love. No, it's just anger, man. you got issues. <laughs> really? I see this a lot. But then, on the other hand, there are tender love people who are really more influenced by their desire to be liked and accepted than by genuine com- mercy and compassion. And so they're like, I'm, I'm so compassionate. No, you just want to be liked. And so the reason you say that you, you, you know, people ask you for stuff and you just give to wh- whatever they ask is because you don't want them to not like you. And so real compassion, real mercy can be tender and it can be tough, but it does it for the good of the other person. And so we have to work together by being sensitive to the Holy Spirit and by keeping each other accountable and working together to help us ourselves stay in balance. And as we do that, we can become merciful just as God is merciful. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Let's pray. Lord, I'm reminded of how far I fall short as I think about the need to be merciful. And so, Father, we rely on you to give us a heart that is kind and compassionate, to help us remember how deeply we are indebted to your mercy so that we can show mercy to others. And Lord, we ask for your grace as we think about those who've hurt us. It's not easy to forgive, Lord, and in fact, it's supernatural. And so, God, we ask that you would give us the desire to forgive and then you would then give us the strength and the ability to do so. And Lord, I pray that you would also help us as we weigh different situations to know whether we need to give tender mercy or tough mercy. It's hard sometimes, Father, but we rely on your spirits. And we know that you are merciful even as we fail sometimes, you are kind to us. So help us not to get discouraged, but to keep seeking to show mercy in the way that is best for the other person. We ask this in the name of Jesus, for his glory. Amen. Please stand with me for the benediction. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. And if you lend to those from whom you expect repayment, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners expecting to be repaid in full. But love your enemies and do good to them and lend to them without expecting anything back. 
Then your reward will be great, and you will be called sons and daughters of the Most High, because he is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. Be merciful, just as your Father is merciful. Go in peace. Uh, We're going to have Plaza time indoors today, uh, and so we appreciate those on the north side to help us stack the chairs. But go in peace. You're dismissed.